0: So these last couple of well, weeks where I've been before you, we've been going through the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Uh, we've gone through the church, the message to the church in Ephesus, church in Smyrna, church in Pergamum, church in Thyatira. Today we, we reached the church in Sardis leaves us with uh, two more, church in Philadelphia and Laodicea, which we hope, uh, should the Lord tarry, that we would come to in the next couple of weeks, but let us go to the Lord in prayer once again, and then we'll we'll turn to our Bibles in Revelation chapter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, so let us pray. Father, we need your help even now. We need your spirit to open our minds and our hearts so that we may receive the food that is found in your holy word. Lord, would you convict us with your word? Would you edify us with your word? Would you encourage us with your word? Lord, would you please give us help that we may apply your word and grow in our love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, please be with us now. Please give us your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and the Lord's word reads this. Read with me as I read aloud. And to the church... And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. And strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. You will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names, you still uh, have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never. Lot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. 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 A number of years ago, I would remember hearing about People being a part of this being a part of one of the most popular churches in town this church was the place to be what do I mean by that all around town you would hear I'm a part of this church everywhere I turned when it came to Christian circles this place was mentioned they had shirts made, they had coffee mugs. Still waiting on one from here. They were on television, they were on the radio, the internet, you name it. This church was the spot to be. Celebrities even knew about this church. And some were even members of the church. Missionary trips, were being taken overseas, lavish and extravagant events during the holidays. And some people would go there simply for a place of belonging. Felt like they were a part. The church had a way of providing for people this sense of, I am a part of something great. If you belong to another church, the temptation was to compare your church to this church. The pastor was well known. He was the author of numerous books. He would smile and give you the sense of warmth and greeting every pastor should endeavor to give attendees. The names of the membership class and of the people joining in one week was enough to start its own local assembly. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Amen. This was over five years ago. And people that I come across still refer to how the church used to look. Mm, mm. We are the church of this pastor and have seen hundreds come to know Jesus, yet the question is, what are you doing now? Mm. This reliance on the church's past had affected the present. They were so consumed, people were referring back to what the church did years ago as opposed to what was the church doing now. It's not only affected this church, but happened to the church in Sardis as well. They were depending off of their past to define their present inactivity. They didn't recognize it, but they were dead. Friends, this temptation can affect us as well. And we do well to ask ourselves this heart-searching question. Is our church on the verge of being tempted with becoming dead? In this passage, The Apostle John gives three elements that should cause us to be vigilant or aware of the temptation of becoming a dead church. Three elements that should cause us to be watchful of the temptation of becoming a dead church. He does this by giving a rebuke in verse 1 a remedy in verses two through four, and a reward in verses five and six. A rebuke in verse one, a remedy in verses two through four, and a reward in verses five through six. Let us begin with the first element as John gives a rebuke in verse one. Verse one says, and to the angel, This is how he begins a standard in his messages to the churches in Revelation. He says, and to the angel or the messenger, one who is a transcendent power who carries out various missions or tasks for God. If you recall, some take this to be a human messenger, such as a pastor. Others take this to mean an angelic being. For our purposes and our sake, we're just going to take this to mean an angel, the messenger of the church. This angel was specifically designated to this church to a group of called or set-apart believers for the purpose of worshiping and praising God. This church was located in Sardis. Now, here's where we set the scene. Where is Sardis? What was significant about Sardis? Sardis was the capital city in the province of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. It was the capital of the ancient Lydian Empire being passed successively to the Persians, to the Greeks, and Romans. Sardis was located about 50 miles east of Ephesus, and it was an important Christian center, but it was affected by its reliance upon past glory. For example, we've heard people say, now you know, back in my day, I was the best at filling the blank. Reliance on past glory permeated this town. I lived in Los Angeles. And at the time... The Lakers in 2015 were horrible, but when you would talk to people around the city, all you would hear is about their former glory. Well, we won the championships back in the 80s with Magic and Kareem. Well, we won back-to-back championships with Kobe and Shaq. Well, we got 17 rings, relying on past glory to make them appear great. Sardis was much like this They were thriving and depending on outward appearance But suffering from inner decay It housed a huge temple of the Greek goddess Artemis And the city prospered greatly And during the Roman period had between 60 to 100,000 residents They were big off of appearance and image, but not substance. Quantity over quality. Known for their years of prior fame. There in fact was a famous cemetery site with graves of long dead kings. Now, just imagine today if somebody Tried to get you to move to Detroit today because at one time Motown had arguably some of the greatest musicians and singers. Mm -hmm. This type of thinking invaded the church just because this city was great back in the day. Therefore, it makes them relevant. We want you to move there. We want you to hold up this city. It was an attitude of reliance upon appearance and past glory to make it seem as if this vibrant church or this vibrant city, it was a mirage of something great, but really it was dead. A reputation for being alive, but being spiritually dead. This was the city. Of Sardis. And the angel or the messenger of the church in Sardis has been instructed to, look at verse 1, to write. It is a command, you write. Write the words of him, the sayings of him, and who is him? He describes himself as the one who has the seven spirits of God. Now, what are the seven spirits of God? The full range of divine authority and power in the churches. Notice the reference to the number seven. Seven is what many refer to as the number of completion, the completeness. For the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. It is divine in nature. Christ is mentioned earlier in Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, as having the seven stars in his right hand. Seven golden lampstands, seven churches, and now seven spirits of God and the seven stars. This angel Is to write the words Of Jesus And what does Jesus Have to say To this church What could Possibly Jesus Have to say To this church He says I know your works I have a deep Awareness of your works, a deep understanding. You know how we can tend to be vague with one another? Hey, how you doing? Oh, praise the Lord, I'm fine. Jesus knows what's really going on. All right. Jesus is the only mind reader. Amen. The eternal sovereign one says, I am intimately aware of your deeds. In fact, I know what you do. Mm. Even when we think we are getting away with something, Jesus is watching us. Amen. He knows what we're looking at on the internet. He knows what we're watching on TV. He knows what we are listening to. Even when we think no one else is around, Jesus is watching. He continues with, you have the reputation of being alive. That is, you have a name. You have recognition on the basis of performance. You have fame. This was a church that was known. They were known around the city for their works. You may even say it today in terms of they were known for their back-to-school drives, Mm. their prison ministry, Mm. their outreach, their food drives and pantries, Mm. their blood drives, their health awareness, or let's take it in another direction. They were known for their conferences, Mm. their protesting of abortion clinics, Mm. their numerous Twitter followers, their books, their blog articles. And these things aren't necessarily evil in and of themselves. People know who you are. All right. These things are good, right? Amen. Look at what he says next. But you are dead. Now, normally, when we get a conjunction, it's "you were dead in your sins and your trespasses." But God, right? Right. Not with this case here. Jesus says, "Yeah, you were doing good things." but you are dead. You are spiritually deficient. This church had flatlined. We can list off what you are known for, but inwardly, you are a barren wasteland. In fact, your deeds actually show your weakness. The church was resting upon its Past reputation. At one time they sought to kill sin, but now, hey, the world is the world, so what are we going to do? They at one time evangelized and sought to teach the good news. They may have been known for their good doctrine. They may have acknowledged, they may have been acknowledged for their helping of the poor and all the things mentioned above. But Christ says, but you are dead. doesn't just only affect the church at Sardis, but it can affect us as well. We do well to ask ourselves. What constitutes my vigor, my vibrant attitude towards Christ? Have we been deceived into thinking we are alive but really dead. Are we simply breathing to death? Many of us believe because we have and can shoot off the fact that we have healthy doctrine or that we have good works, it constitutes that we are alive or when really we're dead. Family, Judas had good doctrine and others had good works but ended up deserting Paul and Christ. When is the last time we have sat back and asked, Lord, help me to see clearly the spiritual temperature of my own heart? Jesus says, I know what you do. And yes, you have a reputation of being alive. In fact, people say, oh, look at that so-and-so's church. That's where such-and-such was discipled. So I know it's a good church. They appear alive, but looks can be deceiving. Jesus has administered the rebuke in verse 1. Now, Let's look at the remedy he provides in verses 2 through 3. Verse 2 says, wake up. This is a command. Some of you in here, wake up. Be continually alert. Like you are asleep and your parent comes in and kicks the side of your bed. Wake up. Be in constant readiness. That's what they tell us in the military. You got to be ready because at any time, something can happen. And what? What does Jesus tell them to do? He says, and strengthen what remains and is about to die. There are some things within the church that remain but are about to die. To die. The church began in faithful service to the Lord, growing in faith, hope, and love, but something happened. Perhaps a slow drifting, a slowly moving away from the gospel orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Motivation had dwindled. It's like when the Lord first saves you and you are on fire for the Lord slowly, the fire starts to dim. You begin casually, not talking about Jesus, not really wanting to go to church, read your Bible, pray, or even be around other believers. Why? Could be fear. Fear for maintain, for, for maintaining a faithful Christian witness could bring about persecution. It's interesting because Twice in its history The city of Sardis had fallen enemy to, had fallen To the enemy Due to a lack of Vigilance on the part Of its defenders Jesus says You need to wake up First In order to be strengthened Or build up Exercise those muscles Of what remains And is about to die and secondly, he says, for I have not found your works complete. Your work isn't done. Family, our work isn't done. Amen. The little that remained, Jesus warns, is about to die. But you still have work to do. The candle has not completely burned out. You may have think you've done enough, People may acknowledge you for the work you've done in the community, the ability to teach sound doctrine, or communicate it at one time, but you aren't finished. Mm. And this, he says, is in the sight of my God. Mm. What's interesting is man may think you have done an excellent job and can rest, but no. Mm -hmm. There's still work to be done. All right. In man's eyes, you think you are complete, but man's standards never equal the standards that God sets. The gospel still needs to be shared. A pastor can walk into a church and think since everyone is saved, quote unquote, or so he thinks that he doesn't have to preach the gospel. But family, this isn't the case. Jesus knows their deeds He knows they haven't been fully completed, and he is allowing them the opportunity at restoration. Mm. Many sports teams don't have the opportunity at repeating championships because some players think it is fine that they have won at least one. Mm. Everyone is basking in the championship and how they will be remembered for years to come. The next season they go into it not training as hard, not being mindful of what they eat and are administering to their bodies. They're not doing the things that they did at first to win the first championship. The self-discipline and motivation goes down. And some of us approach the faith the same way. We believe that since we are Christians, We don't approach Bible reading prayer with the same vigor that we once did when the Lord first saved us. We would work at killing sin, putting up guardrails, and thought our works was complete. But God says, no, your work isn't complete. There is still much to be done. And Jesus has given us the opportunity at restoration. Look at what he says in verse 3. Remember then, recall, keep in mind, this is more than simple mental recollection, but recall and put into practice. Put into practice what? He says, what you have received and heard. Remember what you have obtained. And what have they received? The truth, the good news of Jesus Christ. They've received faith, hope, and love, the deposit entrusted to them, the apostolic tradition and teaching of the church. He tells them to remember the truth. Why? Because obviously some were beginning to forget. The gospel is more than just a recalling of truths. It is truth put into action. All right. mm-hmm. Loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And a lack of love leads to inadequate works. This was a similar solution for Ephesus as we remember in chapter two. They were thinking, since they were saved, No more deeds needed to be done And they could rely on the fact of what they used to do So their love dwindled Mm -hmm. But God is calling each of us Not simply to listen But believe, remember, and act upon what we are hearing Mm -hmm. He continues With keeping and repent This is a command A continual action Repent. Return to a state of vigilance spiritually. Turn from your wickedness. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from the things hindering your relationship with Christ. Put off the old and put on the new. And he gives a warning. If you will not wake up, if you will not open your eyes and return back to an awareness, earlier he commanded them in verse two to wake up and be revitalized. If not, he says, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. People don't know when thieves are coming. So what do you do until that point you prepare you are on watch you are on guard. Jesus says wake up or he is coming like a thief couple of thoughts here this is a guarantee all right a lot of us maybe all of us in here are inconsistent at some point. Amen. Amen. Jesus, when he says he's going to do something, he is going to do it. Amen. He's consistent. He is coming. Second, not only is Jesus coming, but judgment is coming too. The Lord is coming. He's going to come swiftly. He's going to come quickly. And there is urgency in this matter. Now, historical documents show Sardis had two of their leaders, Cyrus And Antiochus III had thieves come in and destroy them because they didn't keep watch. And the same will happen spiritually to the church of Sardis. Jesus will come like a thief. He says this also in regards to his second coming. Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 through 44. But know this that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, get this, he says, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Matthew 25, verse 13, watch therefore, For you know neither the day nor the hour. Some of us today may be sleeping. You have not been keeping spiritual vigilance over your life. You may have even forgotten the spiritual vitality you once had. The passion for Jesus. The loving of his word and his people. Perhaps you've been caught into worldliness or selfishness, idols of your heart ruling, paying more attention to politics, money, fame, the latest headlines, more than you have been about the work of the Lord. Amen. Jesus has told this church to repent, and he is giving us the remedy in these verses. I remember growing up, Robitussin, castor oil, and Father John's was the cure or the remedy for everything. You get sick, go oh, ahead and get you some of that tussin and knock whatever it is right out of you. You get a cough, get a tablespoon of that castor oil. While you didn't take it, you gagging while it's going on the way down. Upset stomach, indigestion, diarrhea. you take one of those medicines would be prescribed at the pharmacy, not at Walgreens but the pharmacy of home. All right? Back in the day, someone could tell you one of those things would cure cancer and it would make you pause for a moment. But what was being communicated was, if you have this problem, this medicine would provide the remedy for the pain your body needed. The church of Sardis had the problem of becoming spiritually dead. And we can be tempted in the same direction, but Jesus has given us the true remedy. He says, wake up. Strengthen what remains. Remember, but not just remember, keep it and repent. Let us ask the Lord to help us to regain that former spiritual vitality for him. We once were connected with people, developing relationships, but now we're not. Think back to the days when he renewed your heart and mind and what you were doing before. One of the things that I found most helpful is when I feel as if my heart is becoming deadened listening to the testimonies of others when the Lord saved them. Even during our prayer meeting on Sunday evenings, we hear testimonies about how the Lord is working in each other's lives. Mm -hmm. Write down requests of prayers that you have and of others and see how God has answered them. Ask to hear people's testimonies. Surround yourself with like-minded people who want to live for Jesus and his glory. This may also include, take some time to meditate and reflect. You may even ask yourself, how have I seen God work in my life this week? How have I seen God work in the lives of others this week? Because if he has changed you once, he can do it again because he's that powerful. There are some amongst us even here today who are struggling in their faith, questioning so many things. You've forgotten that spiritual vigilance you once had, but God can restore you. Remember Sardis. Remember Temple Hills, or else he will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour he will come against you. He will visit the church in judgment. However, there is some encouragement. It was like a somber that came over, like, oh man. But there is some encouragement lest we lump everyone into the same category. All right. There were some who were faithful. We have looked at the rebuke in verse 1, the remedy in verses 2 through 3. Now, let us look at the reward in verses 4 through 6. Look with me now at verse 4. Verse 4 says this, Yet you still have a few names in Sardis. All right. Praise God moment. Not everyone is dead. Oh. Not everyone is asleep. That's just like in here. Some of you are uh, uh, awake in here. Amen. Everybody ain't asleep. Oh. There are some who have persevered and endeavored to stay true to the faith. All right. Who are these names in Sardis? He goes on to say people who have not soiled their garments. Now, why does Jesus mention their garments? Well, the people of Sardis was all too familiar with the garment industry as Sardis' garment industry was a major source of wealth. However, their spiritual garments had been blemished. They have been soiled. There are some, they are small in number who have not caused their garments, their clothes, to be stained. They are without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. If your garments are not soiled, this is a symbol of a spotless life. Those who have not wandered into being unfaithful and disobedient in their ways, listening to the teachings of Christ, putting into practice what is learned, being obedient or vigilant towards healthy doctrine. Mm. Look at the reward Jesus gives up. He says, and they will walk with me in white. Mm. They will. Once again, this is a guarantee. This is a divine promise. They will walk. They will go about with me. They will be in the eternal presence of the divine Savior. Fellowshipping with Jesus in what? In white. In bright and shining. The Father is wearing white in Daniel chapter 7. Jesus appears in white in Matthew chapter 17, a sign of purity. Vibrant spiritual life, holiness emulating Christ, remaining faithful in the midst of external pressures from the world and internal pressures from false teachers and their movements. They will be in the presence of the Savior. Why? He says, for they are worthy. He goes on in verse 5 to say, the one who conquers or the one who overcomes, not everyone will fall prey to soiled garments. Amen. They will be clothed. They will be covered in white. They will be pure, radiant garments. This is the clothing appropriate for the heavenly state. You won't be worried about whether it comes from Target, Gap, Banana Republica, Old Navy. Right, the conqueror will walk with Jesus in white. Mm-hmm. And guess what else? Jesus gives two promises. Amen. The first, and I will never blot out his, I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Mm-hmm. The overcomer's Names will never be erased. Mm. They will be guaranteed eternal life. Now, what is the book of life? The book of life is all of those who held citizenship in the community of Israel in the Old Testament. Contrast this with the record of the sins of the unbelievers upon which they will be judged in Revelation chapter 20. Mm. The book of life, however, is a register of God's covenant people. Those who have eternal life and fellowship with God. Those whose names are in this book are the conquerors. And whose names are in this book? All right, get closer, I'm going to tell you. The ones who are faithful until the end. All right. This past week, ask ourselves, have we remained spiritually vigilant over our lives? Despite the trials, the hardships that have gone on, do we still possess that desire to remain faithful? Or do we want to give up and throw in the towel? Have we been appearing as if we are alive, but really dead? Do we still possess that passion, the desire for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And if not, why? Is there some sin needing confessing? Have I not accepted what Jesus has done on the cross? Salvation was obtained by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, of Jesus Christ, a past yet present reality with a future culmination. Mm. And until that future culmination, we must be faithful. Amen. In this world, we are going to have trials, whether health, whether marriage, whether you're wrestling with your purpose in life, Finances, loneliness,
1: conflict, and inadequacies—inadequacies—all
0: questioning God. Where are you? Amen. Mm. And more than ever, and saying in my lifetime, we have seen people denounce God, fall prey to the world, and give up. Mm. But the Lord is telling us, be faithful. All right. Remain steadfast. It will be worth it in the end. All right. Amen. It is hard now, but with the power of his spirit, you can remain content despite the hardships. Amen. Now, it won't be easy and your situation may not change, but Christ will strengthen you. All right. Cast your cares upon him because faithfulness in the trial now is to be rewarded beyond measure in the life to come mm-hmm. notice what he says next another guarantee I will confess his name I will acknowledge I will profess his name where he says before my father Ooh. or in the presence of my father'll be like Father, let me tell you about so-and-so and his faithfulness to me and you. And a point of note, remember Satan tried to go to the Father and tell God in the book of Job about how unfaithful. And now here Jesus is going on our behalf to his believers and saying, Father, look how faithful they've been. Let me tell you how so-and-so was tempted to deny you, but they remained steadfast. Ooh. And he's going to do this, not only before my father, but he says before his angels as well. He won't be ashamed of you. All right. As you are faithful and obedient to him and his word, he will not be ashamed of you he is the reward at the finish line. There is nothing like getting to the bottom of the cereal box and receiving the prize inside. There is nothing like entering a contest and anticipating the announcement at the end. You have overcome. You have the victory. There will be nothing like running the race of life and hearing at the end. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Now, shouldn't this be our aim? Shouldn't this be our goal? Verse six says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Now. John concludes with this familiar closing as he has said to the churches at Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, and now Sardis. He says, If you have an ear, notice, he doesn't say if you have two ears. All right. Even if you have the ability with one ear, he who has an ear, let him hear. Hear what? The Spirit. Christ is speaking through the power of the Spirit. Mm. And those of us who have this Spirit residing within us should listen. Mm. Take heed and apply what the Spirit says. Those of us who are born again believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit is speaking to his people. Listen to what the Spirit says. And if you were thinking that this message only applied to the church in Sardis, look at what he says at the end. This message is intended for the churches. More listening to the Spirit of God. God has shown us three elements in his letter written to the church in Sardis. He has shown us his rebuke, his remedy, and his reward to this dead church. Mm. He wants them to listen. But how do we primarily listen to the Spirit of God? Mm. We listen by means of his word. Mm. And he's enlightening us. He wants this church to be alive again. He hasn't counted them out. And there is grace in that because there is some time, but not long. We can rely on what we've done in the past to allow us to become spiritually lazy. And even with us here, more people may come, more money may arrive. But large and huge numbers don't necessarily equal faithfulness. All right. I was texting and I call him my big brother. It was a guy that discipled me because he recently came to visit. While he and his wife were here, he told me he had a biopsy. And when he returned back to St. Louis, his wife called us and told us the biopsy came back positive for stage two bone cancer. Mm. The next morning, it hit me hard. Weeping. Because I knew and I had remembered how much he had discipled me. He helped me to grow as a man and in my marriage. The countless advice he shared with me in helping me to grow in the scriptures. I reflected back on these things that morning. But one thing he texted me really stuck out. He said, Warner, just because I assisted with those things, he still recognized he still has to be spiritually vigilant. All right. In other words, his job is not complete. He told me, I may have cancer, but there is still kingdom business needing to be done until my final breath. All right. Amen. And until the Lord removes us from this earth, mm-hmm. we still have a job to do. Amen. We Amen. have been entrusted with the truth. So let us share that truth in love. Let us grow with one another. Let us grow in faith, hope, and love and make disciples unashamedly for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Lest we appear to be alive but really dead. Let us pray. Father, it is with us our earnestness that we ask you to help us we need your help at being spiritually alive lord we've had moments where we appear to be alive but we're slowly drifting away lord would you please help us invigorate our minds and our hearts Help us to get back to that place where we were on fire for you. We need your help, even today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. amen.